Uh, well, good evening, everybody. Once again, we're excited to have you with us today. Um, I would be remiss if I, uh, there's, there's two things that I need to tell you. One is, how many of you received the, uh, the online worship survey recently? You got an email. How many of you filled it out already, submitted it? Excellent, great. If you did not, there are some paper copies back there in the narthex on a table, and we'd love for you to fill it out. We'd love for you to go through, and, and we really do want to know um, uh, some information. We're really targeting a few different things. I'm not going to tell you which ones, um, but we do want uh, all of this information is important. And uh, if you, since y'all, you know, some of you are just six o'clock people, some of you bounce around between um, contemporary services or different services. If you don't go to traditional, don't worry about that. Uh, questions 11, 12, and 13, just leave those alone because those are for the traditional folks. Um, unless you go there uh, from time to time, and we'd love to hear about it. So there's that. And then the second thing is, man, I'm happy to tell you all that Texas football is back. Come on, Texas Christian University football is back. You know it would be coming. I mean, you knew it would be coming. Um, it was a much, yes, I know. Okay, here's, here's what I really mean to say. Jesus is returning. Um, it is quite clear that Jesus is coming back. And I know this uh, because when the college football polls come out, Baylor and SMU will be the highest ranked teams in Texas. Jesus is coming back. Uh, it's, uh, there's no way, I know. Uh, we have some ponies in the room, or at least a pony um, in the room that I know of. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it is a great, uh, it was a great Saturday, and I've had a lot of people say, you better not say anything about it. I'm like, but that's why y'all love me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Uh, so we are today at the end of our uh, series on You're Not the Boss of Me. And over the past five weeks, what we've been doing is We've been talking about uh, different emotions that seek to control us, right? Because Jesus, as he talked about with the Pharisees, was, was not as concerned about what was going into your mouth, but he was concerned about what was coming out of your mouth because what comes out of your mouth comes from the heart. And, and the heart, the overflow of your heart is going to show uh, your care for other people. And a lot of times, unfortunately, what happens is those, those negative emotions that spill out of our heart, we, we just shower and rain down upon those closest to us. And, and so while we've become very good at monitoring our behavior, we haven't necessarily been very good at monitoring our emotions. And so Jesus was very clear that this is an important thing and we should do this. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking over the past five weeks about different emotions. We looked at anger and, um, and fear and, and envy, and, and we talked about some of the other ones that, um, that Jesus lists in, in the Gospels of greed and lust and, and folly, uh, which is just a fun word. Uh, to say, but um, t today we get to, to one that's um, it's kind of undercover because all those other things, you can kind of see them and, you, and they have kind of physical manifestations of themselves and like you know what fear feels like and looks like and you know what anger sounds like and, and envy and all those things, but there's, there's some emotions that, uh, that the undercover bosses that try to hide themselves and, and disguise themselves as virtues. They, they try to show themselves as something very good, but when in truth, they can be very damaging and painful. And here's what I mean by that. Caring does not always feel caring. Right? L loving is not always felt as love. But if you're a parent, you know that. There are times when love needs to be felt pretty hard. Right, because you have parent, you have your kids, and as a parent, you have times where you need to step in and go, "Look, I love you, and because I love you, this is going to happen." 
and it's not gonna be fun for you, but I'm going to do this. I am going to make you do something that you don't want to do because I care about you. There was a time many, many years ago in, in our life where um, when, when Corbin was just a little tyke and he was just being kind of, just a, uh, he was being a little boy is what he's being, right? He's being a typical little boy. And I, would just, I was getting so frustrated. And Jenny goes, if you're not careful, he's going to fear you. And I said, you know what? He needs to fear me a little bit. <laughs> like just not all the way, but just a little bit. He needs to walk in and go, all right, are we good? All right, because you know, I think God has a little bit of that too. Like we need to fear God. And so there are times, like, has, have you ever disciplined your kid, um, one of your children, and, they, and they, their response was, I hate you? Did anybody ever get that from one of your kids? Like, you want, okay, a couple of parents are being honest. Thank you for being honest, parents. Like, you, you do something like, hey, I, I want to do this, and I want to go over to my friend's house, and I want to stay up all night, and we're going to watch movies and everything. And, well, no, you can't do that. How come? Because it's Tuesday, and you have school tomorrow. I hate you. You never let me do anything. Like, so nobody ever heard that, that exact scenario, right? There, there are those times when we, we love and we care, but it doesn't feel like we're loving and we're caring. But, um, but that's a good side of it. There's a darker side of that. And see, the darker side of that is, is, is when we fear expressing that love or care because we're afraid that we'll be rejected. Here's, here's the scenario. There's someone in your life that you see who has stepped out of bounds. There's someone who's making choices that you know are contrary to the will of God and contrary to what they want for themselves. And, and you just have this urge, like I need to go talk with them about that. But you're like, ooh, but I don't know how they'll receive it. And so we let fear drive us because this fear of rejection from what they will say, or, or, or maybe we're, 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 we have this discomfort over the conflict that it will cause. We're apprehensive about the confrontation altogether. And so what we do is we act very, we hide it behind sensitivity. Oh, well, I'm just going to give them their space. I just, you know, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to, I'm going to put them on the prayer list. And I know they're going through these really tough stuffs and stuff and, and I should go to them, but, um, but I love them too much to do that. And what we're doing is we're letting these undercover bosses control us. Even, even worse is, is if we fall into the land of indifference. Indifference is this um, lack of concern where there should be concern, right? There, there is like, you should have concern, but it's like, eh. Like I see what he's doing in his relationship with his wife. I know that he's cheating on his wife and it's gonna end horribly, but you know what? I really just don't care. Well, oh man, I see her and her work and what she's doing and she's doing something illegal and you know, she's probably gonna go to jail, but I just don't care. Nobody would ever really say that out loud, right? I mean, we're not horrible people and we've learned to kind of control those things. But indifference kind of seeps in, but how we cover those and, and what we say is, oh, but you know, it's not really any of my business. Well, well, they haven't asked for my opinion or my thoughts, and I really shouldn't interfere. We let these undercover bosses just bubble up and ooze up, and what we do is we remove ourselves from the situation, not because of our real lack of concern for them, but because of what it will do to us. And so we step aside and we just say, yeah, that's just none of my business. But, but here's the thing about it. Jesus made it our business. 
he was pretty clear about this, actually. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he says this. If you see a brother or sister sin, go and confront them. If you see someone stepping out of line, if you see someone who has stumbled from the path that God has for them, that is making choices that are going to hurt them in their future and their relationships, go and confront them. Like, that's not, I don't like that, right? I mean, I'm like, I'd, well, Jesus, I'd rather not. Uh, um, I mean, how many of you are like, well, this is awesome. This is a great sermon. I'm ready to go right now and start telling some people, I have a lot of problem with you people. It's like the airing of the grievances type deal. But we, we have the, it, we, and Jesus points, I mean, he's very clear about this. If you see someone, a brother or sister, and they're sinning, then go to them. Well, Jesus, I'm going to pray about it. No, 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 I didn't say pray. I said go. Yeah, but we have this really great prayer list at my church, and I'm going to put it on the prayer list, and then we can pray. No, no, no. I need you to go and confront them. Now, now Jesus led up to this. Verse 15 isn't a standalone thing. He's building to this moment. And it all begins at the very beginning of that chapter, chapter 18. The disciples are gathered together with Jesus and, and they come up to him and they ask him this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Hey, Jesus, we have, we have this, we've been debating. We've been you know, doing the whole like sports talk, the, the greatest of all time in the kingdom of heaven. We've been doing this little conversation and we want you to answer the question for us. Who is it? Who's the greatest? And, and Jesus, doing what Jesus always does, is he's like, hmm, okay. And you know the disciples are over there, and Peter's going, oh, he's about to say my name. You know, I'm the oldest. I'm the one who always speaks first. I'm the one who goes everywhere. Um, all these different things. And Matthew's like, I got more money than you, Peter. I was a tax collector. And John is pointing out to everybody, um, I'm the one that Jesus loves the most. You know, in their little disciple teenage ways, they're all going, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. And Jesus looks into the crowd, and he goes, hey, um, can I borrow your son for a second? And he reaches out to this child. Or maybe, hey, Clementine, can you come down here? Just kidding, stay up there. Uh, <laughs> Maggie's here with her little baby. And, and, and he brings this child up in front of them, and he gathers them around, and, and they're like, man, what's he doing? We didn't ask, like, who's the shortest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> like, who's the youngest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And, and, and what he says is, look, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like this child, you will never even come close to the kingdom of heaven. Unless you, and the disciples are like, wait, what? Unless you become like this child, like these little children, unless you become like a child, you will never come close to the kingdom of heaven. Turn from your sins. We weren't asking about sins. I know, but this is where we're gonna go. Unless you become like this child, you will never come close to little children. And then he calls more people in. And he begins to do this lesson. He starts off, unless you become like this child and turn from your sins, you will never come close. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is greatest in the kingdom. And anyone who becomes a, a little child like this on my behalf who welcomes them is welcoming me. But, and here's where he gets real. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to stumble... And the word he uses here in Greek is the same word he uses previously and he will use again. And the word he uses in little children is new believers, is somebody of any age, but they are coming into a new relationship with God. He says, if you cause any one of these people who are new in faith to me to stumble, 
Man, it would be better if you took that big old millstone that that donkey pushes around day after day to crush those grapes, tie it around your neck and go jump into the sea. If you cause anyone of these people who have just come into faith with me to stumble, you might as well be. Now, he's not being literal about this, right? He's, this is hyperbole. He's trying to talk big to make a big point because this matters. He's like, you're so concerned about the greatest in yourself. Let me break every preconceived notion you have. Unless you become like this child and walk away from your sins. Unless you find the humility and the faith of this child. And woe to you who causes another to stumble. He says, but, but look, temptation is going to be in the world. Temptation is inevitable, but don't be the person who's tempting. But don't be someone's mistake. But don't be the person, when someone is telling their story, you know, things were really going great in my relationship until him. Things were going really great at work until she was hired and she came onto staff and then. Don't be someone's mistake is what he's saying. And then he says there are going to be temptations, but then he turns it inwardly focused. And he goes, no, 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 now let's look at us. He says, so if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I'm sorry, what? If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. If your eyes causes you to gouge them out, throw them away. Now he's, he's being very dramatic here and he wasn't being literal about this. Unfortunately, a few hundred years after this, there was a group of Christians that believed he was being literal and they did horrendous things to people. And that's not what he meant. He's trying to drive home this tremendous point. If you have something in your life that is causing you to sin, get rid of it. If there is something in your life that always triggers you, if every time you go into that place, you do this, stop going into that place. If every time you go to this website, you start going down the path of destruction, stop going to that website. If every time you interact with these people, you always end up regretting it and going down a place and a path that contrary to God, then stop interacting with these people. If there are these triggers in your life, find out what they are. Whatever it is that causes you to stumble, get rid of it. Because he says it would be better to go into life without a hand or a foot than it would be to be thrown onto the fires of hell. And he uses this term Gehenna. And Gehenna was a real place. It, it was a place on the south side of Jerusalem. And it was this place where um, three, 400 years before Jesus is saying this, the people of Jerusalem were, were sacrificing their babies to the god Molech. And they believed the, this crazy stuff about it. And so they would kill their babies and take them out to this place where there was fire going and throw them on this fire. It was a nasty horrible place when they finally and God punished them for that and moved them through them and but when they finally moved beyond that 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 fire was still going and so what they did is they made it the dump heap and so they just started putting everything that was 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 done and trash on this place and it was just a constant smoldering fire it was a place that was real and vivid in their minds of what it looked like and Jesus is saying look it's better to get rid of those things that you think are fun and you think are going to make your life complete because they're not. Because all they do, all that ever happens when you go there or when you send that text or when you meet with that people is your life turns into chaos. 
Because that's what Gehenna was. It was a world of chaos. And what he's saying is, look, do you want your life to be chaos, hell on earth? Or do you want to make some changes and be who I've called you to be? Better to cut off that hand or that foot than to be thrown into the fire of hell. And like, you can just see the disciples, right? They're sitting around there and they're going, okay, yes, okay, yeah. All right, we're gonna keep each other accountable and they're kind of building each other up and they're starting to get where Jesus is going. But then he goes, hey, what do you think? Wait, what? <laughs> You're gonna, what? I don't know how to answer this question right now, Jesus. I'm not really sure that I can answer it in the way that you just were talking about the fires of hell. I'm a little nervous right now because I've done some things that I'm not very proud of and you already know about the things I've already done and all these things. And so I feel like you are talking straight to me and I'm feeling really convicted right now, Jesus, so I don't want to talk. I don't know. That's, I think that's an aside that the disciples had. It's not listed in the scripture, but I think they were saying that. But he turns to them and he goes, what do you think? And then he, and then he tells a story. And it's a story that he's used other times, um, and he does this. He uses this one little parable and different parables like this to, to drive home a point. It's a story like, oh, I remember when he told this. But he says, hey, imagine if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. And the disciples immediately go, oh, well, we know what he will do. And he goes, wouldn't he go and search for the one? Right? And we who are not shepherds are like, well, I don't know, would he? I mean, he had, he had 99. I mean, maybe that sheep just needed to get lost. You know, we need to breed out those sheep and we need to keep the 99s better than zero. And, and, but the disciples knew. Oh no, you, you leave those 99 and you go find the other one. He says, and, and, and when it's found and brought back into the fold, isn't it? And they're just rejoicing, right? Let me, let me tell you too in a different way that maybe would hit home today. Has anybody ever lost a credit card? Anybody ever lost a credit card in here by show of hands? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, when you lost your credit card, did you immediately pull out your wallet or whatever and go, oh yeah, but the other three credit cards I have are right here. Totally fine, right? You're like, here's the, here's the obedient cards. They're still here in my wallet. No, you start freaking out, right? You're like, Where's my card? And you go into this overdrive of, okay, where's the last time that I used it? Where is it? And that's always helpful. Well, where's the last time you saw it? If I knew that, I wouldn't have a problem, right? But you start going through those things. Well, was it at that restaurant last night? Or, or, or was it at that store? Or, or, or does one of my children have it, right? You're worrying them like it's wandered off with one of them. And you, and you start thinking about, oh my gosh, where is this thing? And where is this card? And you're trying to figure it out. And, <clears throat> and you know that it's gonna cause you pain and it's gonna cause you suffering and all this time and energy. And so you, you go out to your car because you're gonna get in the car and go to the last place. And, and there it sits, right? on the driveway by your car and, and you go, oh my gosh, I remember now. I was at the store and I put it in my pocket because I was too lazy to get my wallet out and then I bent over to get something and it fell out. Yes, I found my card, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I don't have to call the bank. I don't have to cancel everything. I don't have to set up all those reoccurring payments that I have and change all that stuff. Oh gosh, this is great, right? And you don't at that moment take out once again your wallet and look at the other cards, the obedient cards who have been there the whole time. They're going like, hey man, we've been here the whole time. Why aren't you giving us high fives? Because you were there the whole time. But this is amazing because it's a value. Because something that was lost that has great value was found. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with this story. 
He's like, there's something that is a loss that has such great value. And when you bring it back, you rejoice because you've brought that thing back in. Here's the deal, is some of you are here tonight and, and maybe you've been coming on a regular basis to the six o'clock service because it's your quiet jam. But, but maybe you haven't, you haven't really had that relationship with God like you wanted. And maybe there are things in your life that have caused you to stumble and to walk away from his path. He's rejoicing so much more that you're here tonight than he is that I am. All right? I mean, like Jesus is like, well, you get paid to be here, dude. I'm like, well, yeah, but, and I'm not in the place that you are. I'm rejoicing for anyone who comes in here and is like, okay, I want to hear this now. See, Jesus says there's so much value in all of my sheep. And if one of them, because he says this, isn't it the same? In the same way, is it not that my heavenly Father's will, that even one of these little ones should perish? Isn't it the same thing that I will do if one of you wanders away? I will stop everything and go and find you. I'm not going to look at the ones who are still in the billfold, those obedient ones. I'm so happy that they're there. I love them too. But somebody's lost and we need to go find them. And we will do everything we can to get that sheep who stumbled away and bring them back. And then we will rejoice. And the disciples at this point are probably like, that to me, I love that. Gosh, Jesus, that's great. Yes, Jesus is amazing. Did you hear what he said? This is great. Anytime we walk away, Jesus is going to come find us. Thanks, Jesus. We really appreciate that. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not done yet. Yeah, I'm going to walk with you. We've looked at the sin in your life and you cut it out and you try to, don't be somebody that causes someone else to, to sin. And I will come find you. But here's the other thing. If ever you see a brother or sister sin, you go and confront them. Can, can you imagine the disciples are like, um, wait, but I thought you did that. Uh-huh, through you. You go. You go and confront them. You go and speak to them. You go and show that you love and that you care for them. You go and show that they matter and that they have value and that they are lost and you want to bring them back in to the fold. You go. But Jesus, can we just pray? Yeah, you can pray, but that doesn't mean you can't go. But Jesus, this doesn't sound very fun. I never said it would be. But, mm mm-mm. Go. And then when you do, see, because here's how this normally goes. I don't know if you've ever had a chance um, to do this, but most of the time when you go and do this, it doesn't work. Most of the time when you go and you confront somebody, they just get angry and mad at you. Because a lot of times they know. Um, but you go to them and, and he says, look, and, and if, you, if you win them over, if you go to them and you show them, hey, we know that it's, man, I've seen the decisions you've been making and I know that's not who you want to be. And I know that it's tearing your, your family apart. And if you continue down this path, it's gonna just lead to destruction, man. Come on, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Can I get you out of this place? And, and they may go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you, I, don't, I hate this conversation right now, but I'm so glad you came to me. Yes, thank you, I am turning my ways right now. Rejoice as if that one has come back to the fold. But that's not always how it goes, is it? In, in fact, most of the time, and it has to be most of the time because Jesus gives us other examples, he's like, look, but if they don't listen to you, 
Go and grab two or three others and go back and talk to them again so that you have witnesses to everything that goes down, right? I mean, he's taking this to a legal type level. He's taking this very seriously. You go to these folks and you, and you bear your, your, your love to them. You're not afraid of, of the rejection. The discomfort of the conflict isn't going to stop you. You're not going to be apprehensive about the confrontation and you certainly are not going to be indifferent. And yet it still may not work. And he says, okay, if that doesn't work, what I want you to do, and, and, and many of your transcripts or your, your um, translations will say, go to the church. And that's a bad translation. The, the Greek word is ecclesia. And the church didn't exist right here when Jesus is saying this. Um, what existed were these assemblies, were these groups, house churches, these house movements, these, these families that would gather together. And, and, and so because here, here's the deal is, um, it, I wouldn't call upon someone and, and say, look, we've, been, we've met with him one-on-one. He didn't listen, and, and we took two or three more together, and, and he still isn't listening, so we're just going to bring him right here on Sunday morning in front of everybody, right? That would be a horrible, horrible idea. One, because most of the people wouldn't know him or care about him or love him. And so what he's really talking about here is, look, the people you do life with, the people you see on a daily basis, these people who know the story and care for and love them, this is the great need and importance of small groups. This is why small groups exist. This is one of the reasons why small groups exist, to walk together with one another in such a way that if there is ever a time where you need to break free from something and people see it in your life because they know you so well and love you and care for you so much, they are the ones who come to you and knock on your door and say, we need to talk. We love you too much. And we, re- we realize that you may walk away from this relationship. We realize that you may, may, may be mad at us. You may say stuff about us. That's okay. Because you matter. And then he says, but if they still don't, listen. He says, then I want you to treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. And see what he means by that. What we've taken this for a long time is we shun them. We kick them aside and we say, never again will we have any contact with them. But that's not what he means. Because how Jesus would relate to a Gentile and a tax collector, he would relate to them. But he would, he would come at it with an understanding that they don't believe anything like he does. And so what he's saying is, if you go through all of these steps and you truly are loving and caring for these people, trying to get them back into the fold, and they don't hear you, and you bring two or three more and they don't hear you, and then you bring your assembly with you and they still don't, then apparently you're operating from a different set of worldviews and values. And it's time that you realize that while I told you it was your business when we were operating as a brother and sister, if they're not a brother and sister, it's no longer your business. It's no longer your business. But that doesn't mean you cut them out. It means they are having to make the decisions and choices they make, and you just love them. You can sit back and say, I really think that's a bad idea, but I'm just going to love you. I'm not going to kick you out of the circle. He's very clear about this. And the the fact of the matter is, this isn't a fun um, sermon, to be quite honest. Um, Even for the third time, um, you think it would get easier. It's not, because this is a hard thing that Jesus asks us to do. Jesus asks us to 
to not let fear or discomfort or apprehension or indifference reign because those things, are, they stay silent. Fear and indifference and apprehension and discomfort, they stay silent. Love doesn't. And Jesus gave us one great command. He called it his new commandment. Love one another in the way that I loved you. Love one another. Go after one another. If you see someone who is stepping out of line and you know them and you love them and you care for them, then go to them and confront them. Not because you're trying to prove anything, but because you love them. Because they've stumbled away. And you know that's not where their heart is. There, there was this song that came across the radio, um, I don't know, a year or two ago, two years ago or something. And when I first heard it, 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 it was, I, I caught the catchiness of it and, and it became really big and they played it on Caleb all the time. And um, I remember I actually watched the Dove Awards that year. Um, for I don't always watch the Dove Awards. I watch other things, but um, some of you are like, what are the Dove Awards? It's a bunch of Christians getting together going, oh, you're so amazing, you're so amazing, and it just makes you want to hurl. Um, but the, and I watched it that year, and, and he was a really big, I think he won a bunch that year for this song. His name's Corey, what's his, Asbury? Corey Asbury. Should have known, that's a good Methodist name. Um, and, uh, and the first time I heard it, I was kind of, eh, but then I started listening to it, like really, really listening to it. And, and these are the words that, that it says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. He chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. And I love this, and when I finally caught on to these lyrics and this, this word reckless, this reckless love of God. And I, I just, I really gravitated towards that because I mean, some of you who know me will not find it shocking that I have been from time to time called reckless. Um, and in fact, recently I was called reckless in the way that I do some things. And my statement was following along this and I knew where I was going on this day, but they didn't. And I said, if I need to be reckless to move with the kingdom of God, I will choose recklessness every time. If, if I'm gonna have to come in front of people and explain why I did this or that, and people are gonna be upset that they didn't know about this or that, but the kingdom of God is moving and people are being saved, you bet I'm gonna choose this side. Because if anyone has wandered away from the fold, the very first most important thing that we are supposed to do here is introduce people to Jesus Christ. And if they've walked away from that relationship, then it is our job to go and find them. You know how I know that? Because Jesus just told me. And he set it up by telling this whole big story. The good shepherd doesn't leave anyone behind. And so it doesn't matter what it costs you. And it doesn't matter what you see in front of you, what scares you, what wall or what lie or what mountain. You become reckless with love. And you go after them. And it may not work. He didn't promise that it would work. He just said to do it. But imagine this. 
Imagine there's somebody, and, and maybe for some of you, there's been a name that has popped into your heart as I've been talking about this. And, and you have known that you've needed to have this conversation for a while, and maybe God's finally like, hey, it's time. It's time to see what reckless love looks like and, and to throw away your concern of rejection or confrontation, that fear, that indifference, or that apprehension, and just say, love doesn't stay silent. My wife, who gave me permission to share this story, I've told it twice now, now she's in the room, so it'll be different. She can fact check it. Um, she gave her life to Jesus when she was very young, didn't look back. And she lived her life for him. And she has never been somebody who's up in your face about it. She's never like, um, except when she went to Baylor and made like wore bows and like carried a Bible around and hit people with it and stuff. That's what I assume they do there, I don't know. Um, but she lived her life in such a way that as she got older and as her crew got older and as her, as her grade got older through high school, there became a bigger and bigger gulf about the way that she lived and the way that everybody else did. So much so that she began to be separated out from the rest of the crew. Even worse, people would intentionally do or say something or unintentionally do or say something to hurt her because of it. Parents of some of her friends and some of her friends and she felt further and further separated from the crowd, but she knew who she was and wouldn't back down. One of her friends who she was very close with through high school, um, when they went to college, began to take a turn. They didn't go to college together, they went to separate schools, but um, they would still see one another. And she began to live a life that, that Jenna knew in her heart was, was she, she was a sheep. And she had walked away from the fold and Jenna knew that's not where she wanted to be. She saw a sister who was stumbling away and she went up to her. And what she did is she wrote her a letter and she said, I love you so much and I know who you are and I know the choices that you've been making and, and the things that you've been doing and I know that's not who you are, or who you wanna be and I just encourage you to come back. She never heard anything. There was never a response. There was only silence. And then even when they would see one another from time to time, nothing. And it kind of hurt Jenna that she didn't get a response. And it, it, and it kind of like left her just kind of, ugh, so much so that when I came into the picture and we got married, I heard about it. It was something she carried. But then her 10 year high school reunion came. And we're all gathered together at, at this hotel celebrating, and I'm just, I'm the plus one, right? Standing in the corner going, this is so boring. Can I go home? And all these people come up to Jenna and they're talking to her and they're going, man, I just remember this about you and, and all these things. And she had this guy come in and say, I want, who was just this party animal go, I, I wish my girls could grow up to be like you. And I'm like, mm, wow. And then that girl walked up and she said, can we talk? And Jenna said, no. It's not true, she didn't say that. And she goes, sure, yeah, let's go talk. She said, you may not remember, but you wrote me a letter. And it changed me. It changed everything about me. In fact, it's so much that I've read it throughout the years. And that I'm married now and, and my husband and I have talked about it. 
and we've decided to, to raise our kids in such a way that reflects what you were calling me back to. And I never told you, but thank you. At the same time, Jesus says, never be someone's mistake. He also says, you might be someone's entry back into the kingdom. That conversation that's hard, that may for years never come back, be the conversation that brings someone from walking away from their faith to living their life for him again. So we can't let fear or apprehension or indifference be the boss of us. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you love us recklessly with a love that won't stop, a love that will tear any lie down, a love that will climb any mountain, that will shine light into any dark place. There are times, Lord, when I have been the one who has wandered far from the 99. And God, I am so thankful that you didn't leave me out there. God, I am so thankful that you sent people to confront me who I loved and cared about and who knew how to speak truth into my life even though I didn't want to hear it. Thank you for those people who brought me back. And God, if you're calling some of us to be those shepherds tonight, give us the courage. Give us the courage to have those conversations that we know you long for us to have without the fear or the apprehension or the discomfort indifference. Help us to have the courage to choose love and not to remain silent. And Father, if we're the one tonight, if the name that's been bubbling up in our hearts tonight is our own name, God, have us the courage to walk back, to run back to you. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.